The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. Sleepwalk Saturday, which resulted basically in a bunch of near misses, and maybe you can only fully trust the dogs. The question is which pack, and prime time meets Pac-12 after dark. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, September 18th. Reese Davis and the great Pete Thamel back with us after being on assignment uh, covering the Caleb Williams story. Back in time for Pete, I think in my nine years hosting College Game Day, that might have been as electric and an atmosphere with big stars, The Rock coming in, Deion Sanders. It was, uh, there were a lot of moving parts and a lot of energy in Boulder on Saturday morning. Did you have a good time? I mean, Reese, from the backdrop, which people thought was fake, it was so beautiful, to the the energy. I mean, sitting in the office and being like, oh, there's The Rock. Hello, Rock. How are you? Um, walking in, um, just, uh, you know, Pat had his show there on Friday, which was electric. He had Aaron Rodgers, Deion Sanders, and The Rock on his show, like, to, to lead up into game day. Um just unbelievable energy, energy from the crowd, energy from the state. There is something to be said, and you, you noted this, when a when a former power feels it again, when it, there's, there's a visceral energy to a revival. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what that was on, uh, on, on Saturday. It was the, the, the start of a revival and the game met, the, met the moment too. I think that was one of the cool things, right? Like the game was awesome. It was, and here is where – there are a couple of things about the game. Since you brought it up, the game spectacular, double overtime, Shadur Sanders was absolutely brilliant after the punt pinned him back on the two-yard line. But I do take issue with a couple of things in the way Colorado State went about their business. Now, I know that you know. I think Jay Norvell had put something on X, Twitter, whatever we're supposed to call it now, <laughs> about the comment that I made and the media availability on Friday that I didn't have a big problem with what he said about the hat and sunglasses because I really didn't think it was directed at Deion Sanders. It was more sending the message to his team that they weren't going to be afraid. They weren't going to play second fiddle. They weren't coming in there to be fodder for the latest um, primetime moment that they were there to fight and to win a football game. But apparently they took the, the fight a little too seriously. I thought the chippiness was overdone. It would also Agreed. be it would also be disingenuous for me to say that I don't think that we are entirely blameless there, meaning all of us. Jay Norvell said it. Dion responded. We had an obligation to cover it, but I think we're mistaken if we say, "Hey, the fa- the Flames were fanned for two days." You know, they're going to be. Yeah. It's still their responsibility. But, you know, we built that up and helped set the emotion on edge. So once that all settled down, though, Colorado State played with tremendous guts, daring, bravado, made plays for 58 minutes. And I know what you're going to say. They got down to two minutes left, fourth and two, plus side of the field, barely, I think, or right around midfield. There's the moment. There's the moment you can finish and win the game. Now, I know what people are saying. Old school football, punt the ball. Back them up. Make them go the length of the field. And they did that perfectly. They put them down in the corner. And you had a, by the metrics, after that punt, a 90, I think 98, 99% chance to win. 
But I'm going to tell you this, Pete Thamel, when you have a chance to deliver the knockout punch and end the game, swing. You're a 24-point underdog. Swing and finish them. And they didn't do it, and it cost them, mostly because Shadur Sanders was brilliant. I mean, his composure on the drive. I mean, he mentioned Brady afterwards, Tom Brady. I don't like to put anybody in that ethereal realm, but the way he handled that drive, I will say was Brady-esque in terms of its calmness, composure, making the throws. He was terrific. That was a missed opportunity for all the bravado than to come up there and say, I'm going to go old school football and punch you back. No, I, I, thought they, I thought they should have finished the deal. And I'll be honest, I was actually convinced of that by my son. We were watching the game together. And he goes, they should try to finish them right here. I started thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? You're right. They should have. Well, you like to say, Reese, styles make fights and styles don't make statistics. So mm-hmm. you may have a 98% chance of winning, uh, you know, when you look at all the calculations and win probability, and I love all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. They don't take into account the tempo of offense that you run, the skill that you have, and they don't take account the quality of the quarterback in the connection with that skill. They don't take account that the defense stinks uh, for Colorado State. And uh, was so- tired. Well, yes, and, was, and, and hurt, yes. tired and hurt. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, you know, both sides, it was like walking wounded. So never in an environment like that, give them a chance to light the flame one more time. So I, I agree. And look, I thought Jay Norvell coached a heck of a football he game did. for those, those those 58 minutes. He had his team ready. He had his team on point. It, you know, coaches always say do you, they were probably boiled a little bit over the edge as opposed to under the edge. And you know, certainly the, the hit on, on, on Travis Hunter was unforgivable. That should not have happened. Like we throw guys out for like regular tackles mm-hmm. and that guy, I mean, it was, it was a, it was not a head hunt, but it was a body hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was done on a guy who quite frankly, Travis Hunter's a brilliant player. He's not a large human. Mm-hmm. Did you see him on the hoof when you were in? Boulder? I, I did. Yes. Yeah. His, his, he is just, he's a thin mm-hmm. guy. And so it was clear. Did you see the replay Reese where they, they showed the pass? go incomplete in front of the safety before he went and made the hit. Like you could, you could see that like he actually had a chance to like make a play at the ball. Now he mm-hmm. wouldn't have caught it, mm-hmm. but he was not even looking at the ball. Mm-hmm. He was going, cause he had to maneuver around his guy mm-hmm. to, to, to lower his shoulder and to, and to make that hit. So it was, you know, it was too bad. The pregame stuff, that, that's kind of fun and nostalgic. And I don't, oh, I don't yeah. get too caught yeah, up in pregame. Yeah, me either. I'm pre-game talking about the penalties and the and yeah, the no, shots. that was yeah. It was, it was a, uh, it was a dirty play. There was really no other way to say it. It was a dirty play by Henry Blackburn, the Colorado State safety, and there should not be a place for that in, uh, in, in football. And it's just going to rob all of us of, of you know. Colorado not being at their best for these next two games against Oregon and uh, obviously the next big home game against USC. What is the in- – have you gotten word on precisely what the injury is yet to Travis Hunt? They have not, they have not said the uh, – they have not said the injury. It, it appeared to be some type of upper, upper body shot, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know if it's a rib. Uh, they have not uh, – they have not said that. I, I, I imagine Dion talks Monday, mm-hmm. and, we'll, and, and we'll get a little more. Uh, we'll get a little more insight onto that. But just the fact, first of all, he went back in. Yeah, and then he had to go to the hospital. So um, obviously, just you, you hope a guy with a future that bright, uh, you know, g- g- comes back when he should. Right. Yeah. No, no need to rush back. Uh, and but it was it was great theater, 
And the entire day was spectacular. I do wonder, and we'll delve into this a little bit more later in the week. I think reality is about to strike, to be honest. And I, you know, I'm, you'll, we'll find out on Friday's podcast, but at the moment I'm laying them with uh, this three touchdown favorite with Oregon and Eugene. Um, As good as I, as I think Colorado is in terms of their improvement, I'm not sure they're ready for that. Um, But, you know, Oregon's going to have to play a clean game. If you if you give them a chance to believe, those dudes play hard, man. In Colorado, they play hard. And nothing nothing but respect for that. Before we move on, one quick story about The Rock, okay? Um, <laughs> so, so I had Casual dinner. Casual name drop, no big deal. No, I had dinner. Well, I'm going to name really name drop here. I had dinner on Thursday night with the legendary sports information director at Colorado, Dave Platty. So we had that's nice, a name drop. Yeah, nice dinner at Pasta Jay's, Big Bill Walton place. Recommend the shells. Just from, and I'm not even a big shells stuffed shells guy. I mean, I, I like them because I like all Italian food. Not a big stuffed shells guy. He didn't hesitate for one millisecond when I said, I, first time here, what should I get? Stuffed shells. And he was right. Absolutely spectacular. But I digress. So Platty, uh, when he finds out about The Rock the next day, he texts me and he says, hey, you know, this might be his first time here since the big fight and uh, in 93. So, you know, obviously Dwayne Johnson was on that Miami team. So we dig up some some footage and we we find not only the fight, which obvious one, you know, I think Keith Jackson said it was one of the biggest fights he'd ever seen in a college football game between Colorado and Miami. We see 94. Dwayne Johnson in the middle of it. And then we see this great tight shot of him helmet off, you know, trying to look somebody up, hair flowing, you know, you know, big, big coiffure back then, just flowing in the breeze, looking like, you know, nobody wanted to mess with him. So we thought this would be a fantastic surprise, just spring it on him, right? Well, the more we thought about that, I said to Jim Gallero, our producer, I said, you know what? I said, he's doing us a gargantuan solid coming in here, being a big part of the show. I said, I think he's going to be okay with it. Let's just go ask him. So I go over and, you know, introduce myself. I had, I had not met him prior to that. And, you know, we small talk for a minute. And, and I said, hey, listen, you remember the fight? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, that was, you know, one of the biggest ones ever. We got in a lot of fights that year. And I said, we found some great footage of it. You good with us bringing it up. And in pure superstar entertainer form, he goes, oh, yeah, we'll lean into it. <laughs> it was phenomenal. I mean, he absolutely could not have been nicer, couldn't have been better. And uh, it was it was great. And it was a great little old school moment there from, uh, from the glory days for both Colorado and Miami. It also fit well into a segment we were doing about resurgent old powers the only thing more fun than seeing that video and seeing the guys react to it on the set reese was watching you and jim gallero discover the rock on the video <laughs> in the office there he is there he, look at his afro oh my god he's so mad <laughs> and then he told the story which we touched on a little bit on the show that i guess i obviously not ralphie she was in her cage by then but chip the buffalo the guy in the mascot costume i guess acted like he he wanted some 
in the fight <laughs> and, and and rock who at the time was i if i remember didn't they call him dewey back then dwayne johnson i think they might have called him dewey but that's neither here nor there he said that he um at the time, whoever was in the Chip the Buffalo costume could not have known that he was challenging The Rock and was risking being on the business end of the people's elbow. The <laughs> Rock said he was ready to chase him into the stands, which was just just phenomenal. But it was an entertaining morning. Uh, Boulder showed up, uh, and that's why that's why I love this show, man. Because you and I love this sport. And to see people excited about their team, wanting to showcase their university again, excited about a game, uh, very little, very little is better than that. Oh, I mean, it was just, that show was pitch perfect, man. The setting was pitch perfect. The, the game was pitch perfect. I mean, I, so I live in South Boston, which isn't exactly the, uh, you know, college football mecca of the, of the world. And at the playground on Sunday morning, like the moms and dads, I overheard them talking about Colorado football. Now, if you had told me a year ago, people would have been talking about Colorado football, like it would have been probably because they lost a hundred to nothing. Like mm-hmm. there would be just be no reason. So they are, they have transcended. Um, you know, I heard a, a mom talking about, oh, I fell asleep in the game, but I watched it on TikTok. It was really exciting. Like, it's just like, that is just like, it's like the prime effect right there um, amid all the uh, Lululemon and double strollers. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it's just sort of like one of those like jolts where you're like, wow, this is, this is a real living teaming thing. One of the things I wanted to start doing on Monday on our edition of the podcast is coming up with some major takeaways, some obvious and some maybe a little bit off the radar. And I've got two of them. Uh, in addition, the the first one we touched on with when you have a chance to finish the game, finish the game. That goes for a lot of teams. And Colorado State came up short there. Two other things that I take away from this past weekend, Pete, is I changed my number one vote in the AP poll from Florida State to Georgia. And you say, well, why Georgia? You had Georgia behind Michigan. Uh, Florida State won. They didn't look impressive. They were fortunate to escape against Boston College. When Georgia was challenged, Georgia shifted gears and basically said, nope, not going to happen. So when I was evaluating Sunday morning how to rank the teams, how to stack them up, who do I trust to do that? Who do I trust now to totally finish the deal? Georgia, South Carolina's, you know, a solid team, not a great team. So it's not like a big accomplishment, but they played great in the first half and Georgia just slammed the door in the second. So I moved Georgia back to the top. I was prepared to move Texas to the top after thinking, you know, that accomplishment against Alabama. But when you're tied 10-10 with Wyoming on the backside and you're throwing for 130 yards, you know, I kind of left them where they were. And I don't think Michigan has accomplished enough to move up. So I went Georgia, Florida State, um, Georgia, Florida State, Michigan, Texas. And I moved Washington to five because I think Washington has a case for number one. Washington is legit. Uh, I -hmm. watched, I mean, I've seen them, saw a good bit of the Boise State game. They saw the Michigan State game. I don't think Michigan State's great, but Washington is. I think Washington has a, a chance to be really 
really great. Those That's one of the big takeaways I've got. The two teams right now that I trust, I still think Florida State might be the best, but the two teams I trust right now with the way they're playing, Georgia and Washington. I I feel like that Florida State game, Reese, especially because of the, the, the strip, scoop, score way that it, things turned and made it a game in the second half, I feel like every championship season has some great escape Agreed. on the road in, 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 in league play. It's just if yeah. you look at the history of it all, remember Clint Stoner tripping and fumbling for Arkansas, you can go, you can go all the way through history, and you need to kind of figure out a way you've got – Gusty wins from a hurricane. You got three starters out, and as 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 much as Florida State showed some frailties, and I think their secondary should have some worries because Thomas Castellanos looked like Deshaun Watson, and that's that will be problematic if uh, um, if if that continues for, uh, for for FSU on Saturday. But I just I I don't think I'm just going to write them off as contenders because oh, no. they yeah. struggled they they struggled for a, a, a road league win. Now did did it expose some fissures? Sure. Did did I think human nature set in a little bit in that game? Absolutely. But I don't think uh, I just don't think it's some complete uh, you know I don't it wasn't some complete dumpster fire. They they generally controlled that game through three quarters and then it kind of unspooled on them a little bit uh, a little bit at the end. I will say this. They better figure out how to stop a running quarterback mm-hmm. because you know that that was a huge part of 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 what BC did. And look, there's a couple of generations of defensive coordinators trying to figure out how to stop running quarterbacks. It is the great equalizer mm-hmm. in, uh, in in college football. But that was a, th- those are a couple of things about FSU that uh, that jumped out at me. I'm really excited for. And again, I'm not wishing away any weeks here, but Oregon, Washington, October 14th. No, oh, yeah. um, that could be. That could be that could be something, and uh, I believe that game's in Seattle. It right? is, it is. Yeah, yes. uh, yeah. That's uh, you know, there's a good chance you and I could be trying to, or actually, not you or I, because we wouldn't do it nearly as fun. Pat McAfee could be trying to catch some uh, flounder at the uh, at the <laughs> at the fish market there in uh, in Seattle. I, um, have uh, you seen Have you seen the video of my hands grabbing fish on set the last time we were in Seattle? I've not. Oh yeah, I've hauled not. hauled it in beautifully. They came up to the oh, set. Really? Oh really? They nice came soft. up to the set, yeah. uh, and that's a real challenge, Pete. Because if you get fish guts or fish juice on your suit, that's a problem. That's a well for you. It's especially problem. a problem. Yeah. We know how 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 much you like to be well coiffed. Yeah. Uh, our listeners should know at like. 358 in the morning, Reese Davis came down in the hotel for us to drive over to the set. And he looked like he looked like he was ready, like like he was about to walk down the aisle and get married. I'm like disheveled. I looked like I'd been out in Boulder and like slept 90 minutes um in my suit. And Reese is like tie is like piercing his Adam's apple. It's so tight to his neck at, at 3.58 a.m. Like, I, I wasn't sure if I – I was like, can you breathe? Is your tie like that tight? I, so, I went yeah. out because I was so grateful to the kids who had come early at Colorado and took them donuts, had these, you know, big, I don't know, several dozen Dunkin' Donuts and took them out there and were passing them out. And one of the kids knocked over the box and I was like, not the suit, dude, not the suit. <laughs> you know, just protect the suit. And I should, I probably, as I do on this podcast, as you know, I probably got a little carried away when I said that I trust Georgia and Washington. I want to be clear. I, I do still trust Florida State. I think what I was getting at was that I have preached for years in terms of rankings September particularly needs to be extraordinarily fluid so that you're not trying to validate predictions. You're reflecting what you see. What I saw from Florida State the first two weeks, 
moved them to number one. I think that performance was significant enough to drop them a little last week. I still trust them, and I can't fathom them winning at Clemson Saturday and me not putting them back at number one. You know, I know Clemson might not be 2018 Clemson, but that's probably what will happen depending on how they play. But I really make an attempt, Pete, to be fluid early and move teams around. I, I haven't looked to see where, for instance, I have Alabama ranked as opposed to everyone else. I have, I have them at 21. You know, they're a mess right now. It's fluid. You know, if they look better the next couple of weeks with their talent, obviously they're going to shoot back up. So I try to move move teams around. I've, I've moved Washington ahead of Ohio State, and I sort of feel like that the rows versus columns scene. They, they make you rank them in a column, so it seems like there's this big gap. But I think my, my overall point was I have Washington and maybe Ohio State, depending on what we see on Saturday, but I have Washington in that row of the five teams now that I think are all pretty much the same and could be shuffled in any way you see fit from from week to week. I have one other big takeaway that's a little bit more off the radar from a team that lost. You might have heard me say this before. It's not against the rules to improve. We get an idea of what a player or what a team is, and we don't want to vary from that. We want to say, that's what you are. And so this narrative started, perhaps with some, uh, some what deservedly so, when Spencer Rattler left Oklahoma, that he was about him, that he was not maybe not the toughest guy in the world, that you know he wasn't a team guy, that he wasn't a leader. You know what I saw Saturday afternoon in Athens? I saw a dude that has matured, changed. He's legit, man. He's tough. He's a leader, and he played his butt off. I don't care that there weren't great stats in the second half. He threw a couple of picks. They were all over him, and my man never flinched. Good for him because he's a dude. And I'm not saying first round. If that's the Spencer Rattler I'm getting, I'll take him on an NFL team. I'll take that because he's got the arm. He's got the arm talent. And I think the other things around him from outside perspective, I think he's fixed them and good for him because I thought he I thought he played his butt off Saturday and fought to the very end. Yeah, you think about the amount he got hit in that Carolina game and the pressure he was under on on Saturday. I thought Gary Danison at the end of that game made a great point. He said, this is exactly what Kirby Smart wanted. He wanted to win, but he wanted to see his team, you know, in, in moments of duress in the second half of a close game. And I think we saw Carson Beck uh, flatlined in a great way, right? Like he didn't get too high or too low. You didn't see him get the yips or get antsy. Um, and you saw what is, I think, defined Georgia in this back-to-back championship run. They just leaned in and exerted their physical dominance in the second half. And you can't that, – that doesn't matter when you're up 42 to nothing against Ball State, right? That only matters when you are grinding out drives and you've got a third and four and you need to push. And I think the moments of adversity that they faced, they handled, uh, they handled well. So that was, a, uh, that was a nice win there for, uh, for, for Kirby to get a win but still learn a little bit about his team and g- get some actual development. Because as we've said, the tests, especially in this SEC, Reese, are going to be few and far between. 
Um, I'll be really curious this weekend. We'll get to it about uh, about what Ole Miss really is um, in Tuscaloosa because that is Georgia's biggest regular season test in Athens. So, so now you think that's a bigger test than Tennessee is going to be on the road based on what you saw from the Vols in the swamp? I do. I do. I, I Again, we, we still have a lot to learn about Ole Miss, but – I think I have a little more faith in Ole Miss scoring than, uh, than than Tennessee right now. And when that offense, that Baylor offense, what Josh Heupel runs, when you have the right pieces in place, like Colorado has the right pieces in place right now, that is a thing of beauty. When something's a little bit off, the O-line's a little thin, the skill can't quite stretch the field, you can't go vertical, horizontal the way you want, it can be a pretty choppy ride. And Georgia, as we saw last year at field level, Reese, can pressure the quarterback to disrupt timing, disrupt tempo, and really, you know, just they can turn a, an orchestra into a garage band pretty fast. Um, so I really feel like, yes, I, I want to see more from Tennessee, but that certainly was a was a fairly un uh, what's what, what do you say ungood? Is that your term? Uh, un- they were ungood. Yeah, they were ungood on offense. Yeah. They wasted timeouts. They were just the operation wasn't smooth, right? Um, in that, uh, in in that thing. So again, they they have time to get better. They have younger players. I think Joe Milton started now ten or eleven games, but the receivers just aren't guys who've gotten touches. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they don't have if that offense doesn't have a guy who can bust the top off the defense. It, it can struggle because you can put that offense in a box a little bit. And so far, I have not seen the, you know, the, the, a player like Hyatt or a player like, uh, shoot, who's the kid from Vegas? He was a third round pick. Uh, big tall. Cedric oh, Tillman. Cedric sorry. Tillman, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cedric Tillman was a top breaker. Jalen Hyatt was a top breaker from the slot, which gives that offense like an extra gear. Um, they, they don't seem to have that downfield diamondism right now. And, on the subject of Ole Miss, and I want to look back mostly on Monday, and we're going to have Ryan McGee join us in just a second. But Ole Miss, Alabama this week, LSU next week. Ole Miss could be the team to beat in the SEC West and a commanding lead in the SEC West by the end of the month. I mean, think about that for a second. And they still haven't. I know Quinchon Judkins played against Georgia Tech, but he still really hasn't gotten loose. I looked this up yesterday, Pete. He doesn't have a run longer than 13 yards this season. Last year, he was third in the nation with 19 carries of 20 yards or longer. So they, they still haven't unleashed the full force of him being completely healthy and dart Jackson dart, the USC transfer has been really good. And then ran the ball really well against uh, Georgia tech on Saturday night too. Yeah. You know, it'll be interesting to see. I was a little surprised they played Judkins and that's no disrespect to Georgia tech, but you know, you're, you've got better personnel than them. Um, shoot. They've got three better quarterbacks than Georgia tech has. So you, uh, you know, you would think they would, they, they would be able to, to save him a little bit. Now, again, he didn't get a, uh, he didn't get a, a ton of carries, right? Reese, what do you have? 13 for yeah, 37? Not, not many. Yeah. I think, um, I think yeah, that sounds he had about a touchdown. Right. Um, but yeah, he needs to be a bell cow for them to go win in Tuscaloosa. I, I think that, uh, 
that 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 goes without that goes without saying. I don't know if they have the outside skill that they've had the last five six years mm-hmm. to to really test that Alabama secondary the way that the way that Texas uh, tested it. So, what do you think of DC Gate, Reese? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, yeah the the implication from Lane Kiffin that. Kevin Steele, who's the defensive coordinator who has returned to Alabama, is not really making defensive calls and is uh, just there uh, mentoring, leading, overseeing uh, Traveris Robinson, I guess. Or, I mean, is the implication. I'm not, I'm not really sure why it matters other than this. Lane Kiffin said it yesterday. Um so that Nick Saban would have to answer questions about it today. I mean, that's the only reason it really matters, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. It was a complete Kiffin ploy straight from his uh, straight from his grab bag. Uh, one theory I did see posited on Twitter this morning is that T-Rob may have been calling it just because uh, Alex Golish's offense, the same one that was at Tennessee, the Josh Heupel offense, the Baylor offense, calls things so fast that they might have just had Traveris Robinson calling it from the sideline in, in just to speed up the operation because uh, I assume Steele's in the box. Is that right, Reese? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd have to so, look to make sure, but I believe he is. I think yeah. he's in the box. But you don't have a lot of time to get your calls in right. at that point. So there were shots of him holding a card up, and that just may have been just to streamline the operation more than – I would be pretty stunned if Nick Saban – stripped Kevin Steele of defensive coordinator things. But that said, that's, you know, seemingly the way the operation worked on, on Saturday. Can, can I say this? And I'm not in the meetings. I don't know. And I'm going to be speaking out of school a little bit, but podcasts are about making definitive statements. There is no way that happened. Not, not what you're saying. There's no way that in reaction to Texas, for instance, that, Kevin Steele was stripped of play. Come on, there's that. That's incomprehensible to me that 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 would happen. I just I don't see it. Now, maybe there's something that's gone on over the course of the year where Kevin is mentoring T. Rob. Maybe it was simply because of the speed of the operation with the way Golish runs his offense. Maybe it was uh, speed of the operation as they prepare for. Uh, the meeting with Tennessee coming up in a few weeks when they'll see a similar style, um, if not, which is an interesting thing, right? Like, yeah. so you know. let's do something different to because we failed so badly last year. Let's try yeah. a different operation and give it a test run in Tampa for when we do play them in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, maybe so. And there are a lot of other interesting things that occurred in that game. The Weekend Review with Ryan McGee, who will join us in a matter of seconds, is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Ryan, how are you? Uh, recover. Um, there, is there any emotional scarring from the latest trip to the swamp, which turned out for Tennessee the way most trips to the swamp seem to? Uh, 22 years of trips to the swamp or, or, or 22 years with alternate trips to the swamp. Yeah. And, and no, no, it, the good news is we thought initially that we were going to do Marty McGee from Gainesville. And then we decided to instead go to Starkville 
and that probably uh, prevented me from uh, it certainly prevented me from having to watch Tennessee lose again at, at Florida, but it also prevented me from having to answer phone calls from my in-laws and college roommates of why couldn't I do something to help Tennessee while I was there. So instead, I was in Starkville <laughs> with the Cowbells. You could have blown the top off from the slot like Jalen Hyatt, right? Yeah, no, it was. Uh, well, it is. It is interesting, and you guys certainly experienced this too. But um, my uh, my college roommates and my in laws they really believe that I have some effect on everything. Like they, it, you know, could you not tell Josh Heupel to do so and so, or or Butch Jones, or or you know, go down a list? Could you not have told so and so to do so and so? No, I could not have, and they would not have listened. So, uh, but yeah, it's um. I was uh, I was good. I had a, I had a great Saturday. It, it, we, the cowbells were amazing. It wasn't the rock. Um, that the, like pretty, that pretty ridiculous, but uh, but it was uh, it was a good time nonetheless in Starkwick, Stark Vegas. You know, I had a text exchange with Bill Connolly yesterday, and saying that I didn't really think that there were any significant upsets on Saturday. He differed. With that, he thought Florida over Tennessee and his beloved Missouri Tigers over Kansas State. You know, a couple of road games, home team won. Tennessee is is clearly jinxed there, so at least for the time being. It's one of those things that when Tennessee wins at Florida, they're not going to win on a field goal. They're probably going to win like 38-7 to or something like yeah. that and just, you know, exercise all the demons at one time. But, you know, for all of the near misses – and for all of the sleepwalking at the top, and for Florida State, you know, to be challenged, for Texas to be tied with Mustard, you know, early in the fourth quarter, and if not for a missed tackle, that game might have stayed uh, stayed close for much longer. Nothing really happened at the at the end of the day, and I don't count Tennessee losing at Florida and and K State biting it on a sixty one yard field goal as being you know some massive uh, ground shaking upset. It reminded me of week four a year ago, which is kind of what I'm, I'm looking at, you know, looking toward week four this year, which is, you know, everyone, the, the the teams with the numbers next to their names, for the most part, a year ago, week four, won. But, you know, Georgia was pushed into halftime by Kent State. And Michigan, you know, was uncomfortable with Maryland. And, you know, there were a lot of those games where, you know, I remember USC, I think, barely got by Oregon State. And so – the teams that won the games that should have won the games won the games, but they didn't feel very comfortable doing it. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of what, that's what Saturday felt like. I felt the same way. I kept waiting on, um, you know, the, the, like the South Carolina Georgia game, you know, it was super uncomfortable for Georgia, but, but they won the game and they certainly didn't. I, I thought 27 points was way too big of a spread, uh, you know, because I think South Carolina is better than people realize, but it, that to me, that kind of summed the weekend up, which is, the teams that that won for the most part won uh, that should have won, but they just were very they weren't very comfortable doing it, which was a little bit of a wake up call. And that's kind of I, I expect to see more of that this weekend. It's sort it's human nature. It's college football. We've seen it forever. The NFL is just win in advance, but because of the small field that makes the postseason, and because of the ranking system and everything, there's the emphasis on how did you look because you have to find some way to differentiate among these teams who are largely indistinguishable. So I I just didn't, and I don't think that the two teams, even though I was probably a little higher on Tennessee in the preseason than some, was surprised, taken aback by just how the operation went. But, you know, I didn't think it was some affront because Florida was desperate too. That's the other part of it is that, 
if Florida loses that game to Tennessee, particularly if they, you know, if they get handled or if they look sloppy the way they did against Utah, then that thing is going to start unraveling because the Bull Gators are going to be unhappy. And so, you know, there were there were a lot of emotional things that factored in into that. And I would even say the same might be true for Missouri. They, you know, have an offensive guy running the show and their offense hasn't been any good. They have this five-star receiver and they can't really get him loose, at least last year. And, you know, they got drilled by Kansas State a year ago. So can they put something together? They did. And and Kansas State is, you know, they have a lot of guys back, but they're not quite what they were last year, too. So I didn't I think we had a lot of threats. We had a lot of great moments. We had a lot of discomfort, as you said. But at the end, not a lot changed except this. Now, Pete touched on what Lane Kiffin had to say for, I wish I had the number in front of me, but it is a relatively common occurrence for a preseason top 10 team to finish the season unranked. We're going to find out a lot this week about whether that team is very likely to be Alabama. And, you know, people say, well, that's panic. You know, it's it's one loss and a little hangover and trying to get something going and a really bad performance. There are a lot of a lot of earmarks there of discontent. We'll put it that way on the offensive side of the ball. Defense, you know, the defense played hard, especially late. Not that the offense didn't play hard. They just didn't play well. And it didn't seem like that there was a, a belief on that side of the ball. And I think those are some, those are some warning signs that uh, of what might be to come over the next few weeks uh, for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, and I think it's like that for everyone because when you get to the end of September, and I mean the first day of fall is Saturday, right? And so we, we fall has arrived, and the question is, who are we? And if you get to week four, the end of week four, and you're still not a hundred percent sure who you are, then you're in trouble. I mean, you know, at this point, at this point, you should know who you are. I don't know if Alabama knows who they are. I give Mississippi State. So I saw Mississippi State in person on Saturday. I think Zach Arnett has done an incredible job in an impossible situation replacing Mike Leach. They don't know who they are. You know, he he has put in this entirely different offense because he's a defensive coordinator and he thought the air raid put too much of a strain on his defense. And they're out there trying to outmuscle LSU. Well, LSU, I feel like, is starting to figure out who they are. I mean, they certainly look like it when I saw them on Saturday. Mississippi State doesn't know who they are yet. I don't Tennessee they know who they are, but they they haven't been that yet. So, so I just I think we're at that point where who are we? It's time for some self awareness and some self identification. And and I don't you know it's not been I mean certainly not been for a decade and a half that we've gotten into the end of September where I don't know if Alabama is one hundred percent sure who they are. They know who they want to be, um, but I'm not sure that they can be that. So, so it's it's again when we hit week four, week five, you, you know it's. The, the the great philosopher right uh, with the Arizona Cardinals they are who we think they are well we don't you don't, we don't know who you think you are yet and and you either know now or you don't and um and it's yeah you this is the time and I think a lot of teams when they get on the other side of week four are going to realize this just wasn't going to be our year let's start thinking about next year am I crazy that in a monsoon. I was stunned that Nick Saban just didn't put in Jalen Milrow and lean into the identity he'd wanted all year, which was to let this offensive line, which I think at this point is underachieved, right? Like that, that has not been the identity. That was the alleged identity, but I haven't seen it yet. Uh, 
USF had five sacks. Like that's again, they have so many new players in the portal. It's hard to like say what the USF defense is, but they shouldn't have five sacks against Alabama, no. right? So, like, why wasn't it just let's become bulldozers and and, and move on? Um, I'd be curious who you two would start against Kiffin on Saturday. Swing, Ryan. I've 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 got some. No, no. I'm, I'm curious. No, spe- speaking of in laws and roommates, I want, I'm curious to hear what you have to say because I want to. Um, <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to see if your phone starts ringing before you finish. <laughs> um, first of all, now I want to offer the disclaimer at the top. I've got no inside information on this whatsoever about what went into the decision other than Milrose' performance against Texas. If you read between the lines of some Saban news conferences leading up, I'm not sure that they got the reaction post-game and early part of the week from Milrow that perhaps they had hoped. I don't know that that's the case. That's just my guess because of what you said, Pete, because it seemed like the situation to just go ahead and do that. It brought to mind a pretty famous story in Alabama circles of when A.J. McCarron uh, came to Alabama. I think it was A.J.'s freshman year. And after practice, A.J., who's no shrinking violet, even even in front of Nick Saban, and went storming up after a practice into the office, absolutely furious by the fact that he had spent the entire practice with the threes, just furious, goes up, ticked off, brings it to the boss. And Saban's response was, today was a test in leadership and you flunked. Now, I don't know that that was the case with Jalen Milrow because I thought his body language on the sideline was uh, at least what I saw. I didn't watch every second of that game. That was too painful to watch every second. But there, there, were, some, there were some clips of when I think when Ty Simpson uh, led the touchdown drive decisively that Milrow was out there to greet him and gave him a big hug. So I could be a thousand percent off base with that. I want to offer that. But it had the earmarks of something like that because what you said, Pete, stands to reason. So to answer the question directly about who I would start, most of it would depend on, on practice the first couple of days this week and who performs better. But my inclination is this. If your offensive line is going to be hit or miss, as it has been for Alabama up to this point, then I would go with the quarterback most likely to make explosive plays, even if I have to live with some mistakes. I would try to do what I could to mitigate the mistakes and still have the threat of a big play because they didn't feel like they had much of a threat of a big play, with certainly not with Buckner, who I felt badly for, because it didn't seem like everybody – was rallying around him, just to put it frankly. Um, and Simpson is talented, but still getting there. I'd probably go Milrow. It would depend on the first couple of practices and realize we're probably going to have some mistakes. Let's try to limit the catastrophic ones, but we also are probably going to get some big plays because they even got that against Texas. So that's where I, that's what I would do. Uh, but nobody ever calls to consult me on such things. But uh, most of it would depend on how the rest of the team responds to the quarterback first couple of days in practice. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm with you on all this. And and I go back to – you're talking about Tennessee. I go back to the stories that we've heard about Joe Milton, you know, who transfers to Tennessee and lost a starting job 
but the, the, the question was, how was he going to handle that? Mm-hmm. And the reality is he's the starter at Tennessee now because of how he handled losing the starting job. I mean, he's got the YouTube arm and, and the TikTok mm-hmm. and it throws it 90, you know, Uncle Rico thrown over the mountains. I get all that stuff. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he was always going to be the starter whenever Hendon Hooker was done because of how he interacted and his relationship with Hendon Hooker while he wasn't playing. You know, you go back and watch film. Every time Hendon Hooker stepped off the field, Joe Milton was the first one he talked mm-hmm. to, not the coaches. And on the flip side, after Hooker was hurt, that's exactly what happened with Milton and Hooker. He walked off the field and found Hennon, and they talked first before he talked to any of the coaches and got on the headset. And so so that's the question is how do you handle it to, to the point of your story? How do you handle it when you don't have the job? And I think Milrow's the guy. I think Milrow's the guy long term. I think everyone agrees on that. But, um, you know, and there's a point where you just you got to put him out there and see how he reacts, but also how does he react when he's not on the field? And so, yeah, I think he's the guy. Unless you know, as we speak, they're getting ready for practice and it just doesn't go very well. But but I think he's he's the guy you pin it on because he was always going to be the guy. Do you think this is the uh, you know the the quarterbacks of this generation grew up watching the Hurts uh, to two a handoff at the halftime of that title game? Do you think? that is inherent in their sideline behavior, knowing that is like the ultimate show of backup sportsmanship, right? Um, and look where Jalen Hurts is right right now. So I just wonder if that, you know, the the inherent human reaction to be pouty or to be moody or to be unhappy is tempered by the fact of, wait a minute, Jalen Hurts handled this first class. Mm-hmm. Like why why shouldn't why should we we need to do the same thing. That that is like the North Star, I would think, for backup quarterback or benched quarterback behavior. Yeah. You know, the, the, the the night Jalen Hurts won me, and I always liked him, but the night Jalen Hurts won me was that night because I was in the locker room, I mean almost there illegally before the doors were open. And Hurts came to his locker and I was the first one standing there. And the way that he handled that that night I was like, all right, I don't know where this guy's going to play next year. I don't know where he's going to play five years from now, but he'll be playing football because the way he handled that that night and uh, and knowing how much his heart was hurting, um, that was that was the night he won me over. And it's why he's still one of my favorite athletes I've covered in college, and it's why I enjoy watching him. Yeah, which, by the way, that's part of Alabama's problem too is, I mean, Sunday night football, <laughs> I, I was sitting there watching, you know, I'm, I'm watching two Alabama quarterbacks you know, who, who at one point were in the same meeting room and here they are playing on in Sunday night. And w- while we're waiting to watch Jalen Hurts play, it's just, you know, that's part of the problem too, is there was going to be a drop off. There's no way. And, and, and that on top of, you know, the, the, the quality control problems we've talked about, they're a little spoiled. And, uh, and so it's, it's going to, it's going to take a beat, but it's, uh, but yeah, I, that was the night Hurts won me. And it's the night Milton won me the, when mm-hmm. I watched him interacting with Hooker. Uh, before and after Hooker was hurt. So, yeah, we'll have to see what happens going forward. There's also another dynamic, Pete, and you might be plugged into this because you you do such a great job in knowing recruits and their makeup and their background and everything. Um, Ty Simpson was a five-star quarterback. and Everybody won. I think there I think there has been some frustration from him. You know, it may be – I don't know his makeup, but he wouldn't be unique – if he were a quarterback who performs better when they tell him you're the quarterback. Now, most do, some don't, but if they've made a decision in the second half of that game to go with him this week, then you might see improved performance from him. 
Um, so I think there are, there are a lot of things on the, on the table. And that's why I don't know what the number is. I think the number was six and a half. Uh, I keep giving all of this foreshadowing from what I'm going to do Saturday. I mean, I'm absolutely taking Ole Miss with the better quarterback and the momentum in six and a half. I mean, there's no question. They have about three that. better quarterbacks, Reese. I think. Right? Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe the freshman you wait and see. You know, Spencer Sanders. Uh, I I'm still. I, I guess there were there were some NIL things or whatever. I'm still a little uh, incredulous that he went there. But I was I was kind of. I wouldn't say I was chief on the Jackson Dart fan club train, but I was certainly aboard. And, you know, when he went there, I was like, well, I don't think that's a guarantee you're going to start there. You know, and so I was a little yeah. surprised that, that that was a choice he made, but I, I you know, I, I don't know the background to that. If there, you know, if there was NIL consideration or if there were other factors involved that led him to, to make that choice when he left Oklahoma State. Well, what a great decision it was to get out of that tire fire. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> But what strikes me now, though, is everything's an audition, right? The the way it works now is, like, we're talking about how guys handle being benched or how guys handle when they're hurt or how guys handle when they sign in a place that's already had – we talked about Brandon Stewart and Peyton Manning just last week. When when guys sign and all of a sudden they're in a meeting room with three other All-Americans. I remember Jim Balvano talking about after the great 83 championship year they didn't even make the NCAA tournament the next year. And the reason was because he said he looked down the bench and for the he, the year before he had no McDonald's All-Americans and now he had five on the bench. And he's like, how do I handle this and how do they handle it? And none of them handled it very well. Now, because of Transfer Portal and because of 24-hour coverage that, that you know we're giving everybody on uh, speculation and whatever else, everything's an audition because how you handle your business now is Spencer Rattler, right? Spencer Rattler got pegged as a difficult locker room guy and didn't handle this well and didn't handle that well. And as a result, a lot of schools wouldn't look at him when it came to transfer. I never agree with that. I mean, I, I, you know, my interactions with him have never been evidence of that. But it reminds me, everything's an audition. I mean, people are constantly watching how you handle everything all the time, even more so now than it's ever been, because you don't know where you're going to be next year, right? I mean, it's, you know, you you know, we got a quarterback at Rice that started at 17 different schools in the last seven years. You know, it's just but, but, but reality, you too. he's kind of balling out, too, by the way. But, yeah. but, but you don't know where you're going to be. And 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 you, you don't know where you're going to be within your own program, let alone maybe next year being somewhere else. So it just strikes me that you're always on like it's it, you're always on and you have to be. And uh, it's just it's fascinating to me. That's what they're grown men now. They're not 19. I try to avoid using the term kids. Sometimes I slip and do, but they're, they're adults. They're young adults. They're still maturing adults. They're not finished product. Heck, I'm 57. I'm not a finished product. At least I hope I'm not. Um, so things happen and change, but they're not, they're not little kids, you know, especially in this, in this era of it being big business, of them being able to negotiate their way into and out of schools, for lack of a better way to put it. They're they're men. They're adults, young adults, but you know they're not they're not little kids, and we shouldn't treat them as such. And I'm glad to hear you echo uh, my sentiments on Spencer Rattler, which I, I told Pete earlier. I thought that was one of the big takeaways of the weekend. I mean, his reputation was not was not sterling, and I don't know why it wouldn't be now. I mean, he's yeah. he's shown he's shown a lot. Uh, yeah. 
it, it, it is, it is, it reminds me, I'm not a Game of Thrones guy, but it reminds me of that gif you always see of the one guy from Game of Thrones who's pulling the sword out and the army's running at him with about 10,000 bad guys. And that's how I felt watching Spencer Rattler when I was at the <laughs> North Carolina, South Carolina game. It's how I felt watching Spencer Rattler, you know, against Georgia over the weekend. That guy can play, man. And, but he is never, from the time I dealt with him in Oklahoma, uh, to certainly, I mean, I've, I've, I've talked to him a lot since he got to Columbia. And I, I don't, I see no evidence of this. Now, mm-hmm. is he cocky? A hundred percent. He's a quarterback. Find, I want my find quarterback a quarterback that's not, or at least right. a good one. You know exactly. Yeah. But um, but you know, he still cares with him reputation that that you know he earned for better or for worse on Netflix. He does. Mm-hmm. And um, but, but at the end of the day, and the wa- and quite frankly, the water was poisoned against him when he was leaving Oklahoma. But uh, but but yeah, I just for these kids, I just said for them to handle what they're handling. Uh, I think about me when I was 19 and I, I couldn't make a 905 class. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get up. And so to see what they handle on a daily basis um, is just uh, it's remarkable. And it's certainly way more complicated now than it even was three years ago. This has been a, this has been a great review, and this is going to be a tremendous week of college football Woo. coming up. Can't wait to dive into that. We'll do so in a minute. Uh, Ryan, always great talking to you. Thanks for stopping by, buddy. All right, boys. Appreciate it. After exhaustive research, I can't find, as we had last year, the quintessential dumb loses more than smart wins. But I I did find a series of possessions that can show you how to squander a game. Vanderbilt UNLV, after Vanderbilt jumps to a 17-0 lead, they go fumble, fumble return for a touchdown, punt, punt, interception, fumble. And then they lose on a late field goal. So I would say, I don't know if that's dumb for a smart school, but it is certainly um, not strategically not strategically advantageous to do it that way. But this is what I really wonder. Pete, last week on Friday, because you were on assignment and working harder than the rest of us, you sent in your picks over the phone. Taylor uh, delivered those picks as you. What did you think of Taylor's performance uh, portraying the authority, Pete Thamel? I I thought he did a really good job. Uh, I want you to know, because there was an undertone of like, are we offending Pete too much? No, 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 no. I was not offended. I want to be very clear about that. I am uh, proud Northeastern. The only thing that offended me was Taylor said I was an aspiring Southerner. I love the South. We visit there often. I don't aspire to live there. That's all. So that was, the, that, was that was the only thing I took slight umbrage with, and I say that obviously <laughs> uh, joking. Uh, proud of my northeast, uh, my northeast roots. But other than that, uh, it was it was fairly uh, it was fairly accurate. Um, uh, as Taylor said, the rules of podcasts are when one goes away, one's chops will get busted, and mine were uh, mine were busted. I thought. I thought definitely. I could tell towards the end of the podcast, Reese started to feel bad because he, he really thought it was funny. But he, Reese is such a nice guy that if he's going to insult you or say something critical of you, he has to compliment you twice. <laughs> so I felt like it was almost a four to one ratio by the end because he just felt so bad. But he didn't want the bit to end because it was a good bit. So he was he was pretty pretty tortured. It, it was it was hilarious. And Pete does Pete mocks me in the office all the time. If I say if I say something nice, but he know we've got to know each other well enough now that he knows the tone. He goes, "Oh, here it comes! Second compliment coming now. Here comes what he really wants to talk about." <laughs> <laughs> so, but here's the here's the real question I did have: of the people 
that Taylor dug deep into the roster to find as these uh, fake sources that you had to give you insight into the game. How many of them did you actually know? Did, did, did so some I, names ring a bell? So certainly. So the, the funny one was that he mentioned uh, in, in an attempt at obscurity, Chili Davis, who's the uh, assistant special teams coach at K-State. I actually know Chili. He was at uh, FAMU with uh, Willie Simmons before then. So when he said his name, I was like, oh, man, Chili's going to think I'm di- like he's getting dimed out on our podcast. Like, forgive me, K-State scoop. So uh, that is not the case. But I but I do know him uh, a, a bit. I believe Del McGee came up. I obviously have been around and know yeah, Del McGee a bit yeah. just from, from over the years. He's a, you know, a linchpin on that Georgia staff, really the, you know, associate head coach, great, uh, well-known coach. And there was one other one um, who I did. Uh, oh, Jamarcus Shepard. I've known Jamarcus forever. He was at Purdue. He's his uh, receivers coach at, uh, at Washington now. So those are the ones off, t- off the top of my head. He did go deep though. Like when you're talking about like the assistant psychology <laughs> performance <laughs> that, director. Even, that was my favorite. He, Yes. No, it was, it was, it was very, uh, it, it was very funny. He could tell, you could tell he was feeling that he was owning the bit. So he kept, he kept digging like a little deeper as, as, as it went on. So it, it, was it was good work. It was an impressive performance by a man who later would be playing really hurt. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. We got, uh, we, we haven't put the breaking news on, on, on that one yet. <laughs> Taylor, are, Taylor, do you have an injury update status for our, our podcast roster with you. What what's your injury status right now? Mm, I'm day to day right now with a with a broken foot, three broken metatarsals, and uh, you know might might have to take some time this week to take care of it. But you know we're we're in the middle of the season, boys. So I'm still going to be on the bench clapping. I'm going to be in film study. You know we're 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 going to be present, and, and we've got goals to accomplish still. Greeting us when we come off the mic as Jalen Hurts or Jalen Milrow would. Right. That that's your Absolutely. goal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Team player over here. As we'd only expect. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, the one thing, the one thing I learned from that is that it's going to take a lot to get me off of this podcast because I'm going to get <laughs> destroyed the second that happens. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast week in review. We'll turn our attention on Wednesday to this unbelievable slate of games as we Head to South Bend for college game day for Ohio State and Notre Dame. They don't play that often. We should cherish it when they do, and we will. We'll make some picks. Hope you'll subscribe to the podcast. That's the easiest way to make sure that you never miss an episode. Winds up right on your device, and you can listen as you're uh, recovering, letting your metatarsals recover, if that is the case for you, which I certainly hope it's not. Taylor, we hope you get well. No, you will. Pete, great to have you back, and we will uh, talk again Wednesday. Thanks for listening, everybody.